welcome to everybody in here. Uh, this is Gospel Essentials class. I would ask, is there is there actually an investigator in here? Is everybody members of the church? I assume we're all members. I'm a little bit of an oddity, so if you're turning to the chapter 35, everybody who's been in my lessons before will notice I don't use the book a whole lot. So I'll apologize. Um, but let's start with a prayer. Thank you, thank you. So I want to start off with a, a quote, and, and I have to kind of put it in its context, too, because we could take it in different ways of how we interpret what he's saying. But Joseph Smith once said that Mormonism is truth. And then he went on to say that wherever truth was, whatever corners of the earth it was, in or out of the church, wherever truth could be located, let's grab it, let's wrap our arms around it, let's bring it in. And so we should recognize that wherever truth is to be found, Mormonism wants to envelop that in, on, on, its, on its best, right? Because all, all of us tend to be flawed human beings. And so sometimes when people present a truth, we're like, oh, ooh, that, that's too challenging, and we'll push it off. But Mormonism on its best day, each of us on our best day in Mormonism, we should be able to wrap our arms around truth. The lesson is chapter 35 on obedience. And I, I hope you'll feel the spirit. I, there's, a, there's a really neat point I want to make during this lesson on what I truly believe God is calling us to do. And let me start by giving you something that's completely outside of Mormonism. Um, in psychology... Some of the greatest uh, psychology experts, scholars in their field, as well as social scientists, people like Piaget, uh, Kohlberg, um, Robert Keeley, I'm trying to think of others, um, William Perry, there's tons of them. They've done development, they've done studies on development, on how we as human beings develop. And, And in our development... Um, we each go through different stages, and they used to think years ago that children, once they got to whatever, 18, 22 years old, somewhere in there, that our brains stopped developing. But that's not the case. They now know that our brains develop through the rest of our life. And in these development, we go through these different stages. And in these stages, certain things tend to be kind of the paradigms that we work within. And so another guy was by the name of James Fowler, and what he did was he went into some universities back in, I think, the 50s. And he studied college students, and then every year he would interview these kids. And as they grew up, try to process, like, how they were changing in the way that they um, thought about ideas and information. And he broke these out into six stages, and every one of these experts has a different model, but they agree on these basic truths, which is that in their stages before this and their stages after this, but in this stage, in this, in this, Fowler called it stage three, but I don't like numbers because it makes it sound like one's better than another. But in this stage, this stage is um, one that looks outside of itself for authorities. Okay? This is a stage that tends to need rules and need definite lines and needs things to be spelled out. And so I drew these arrows out because this person, this, this individual, if they're in this stage, they tend to look outside of themselves for, for their truth, for the authorities who give them the truth. And so what are some of the authorities in our lives? Parents. Parents. Good one. Teachers. Teachers. Who else? Church leaders. Church leaders. We look to our friends or our peers. Gotcha. 
maybe a boss or work or maybe another employee. Anybody else? Writers. Okay. Right. I like it. And so individuals in this stage, they're very uncomfortable with feeling something different than what the authorities say. They, they much rather trust the authorities outside of themselves. And, and then there's this stage that follows, that some people get to. Um, Fowler assumed from his research that about 80% of people stop at this stage. They don't move any further. But people who move beyond this stage, this next stage is chaos. You realize sometimes that maybe a church leader was wrong once. Maybe this writer's research was bad. Maybe this teacher gave bad advice. Maybe, maybe this spouse uh, betrayed you. Maybe your, marriage didn't, maybe your marriage ended in divorce. Maybe your boss fired you even though you trusted him and you felt like you could go share something with him and, and whatever that was, it caused you to lose your job. When, when these things don't match up, people end up going into this kind of chaotic stage. And if they can work through this, they end up getting to this other place. And this other place is, is where their authority is kind of inside of themselves. And they still have these exact same places that they'll search for for truth. I could write these exact same ones around. But, but Piaget, Fowler, Colbert, all these guys said that, you, that these people would, some of these people would get to a place where their authority was within themselves, that they would take the truths that they were learning. These arrows that go in, there's truths in the world that they're taking in, but then they're also standing on their own ground on how they reconcile that. And as I talk about obedience today, I want to suggest that God is calling us to move through this. And, and it's okay, wherever we're at is okay. Although this, this stage tends to have a lot of tension and angst. But these stages are normal, and this is normal development that we as human beings go through. And when I look at the gospel, I often feel like God is using this, this truth to compel us. Uh, I should say compel, encourage us to move forward. And I know what I'm saying all sounds like gobbledygook. Um, but the point I wanted to make was that the gospel can appear very different to these groups of people. And that doesn't make a writer wrong. It's simply the way that we deal with information. Let me give an example and tie this into obedience. What do we know about obedience? What, in terms of laws, where does obedience fall? What do we know about obedience? First. Ooh, obedience is the first law of heaven. a lot of things. What does that mean to you? Any thoughts? Be obedient before anything else, I guess. Okay. So obedience obedience first. But we need to be very careful to what we're being obedient to. Ooh. And I said before, right? Obedience for the sake of obedience is neutral. It's a useless term because name some bad things you could be obedient to. Well, I, I just remember one when, when when we were uh, when we were newlyweds. You're gonna say spouse? Or no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm offended by that. I was gonna say scholars. <laughs> but uh, there, there was someone that went, went to wake me up when I was pregnant, and they claimed that someone else sent him, and that they were just being obedient. 
And I'm like, well, you have to have your own judgment. You can't just wake up someone that hasn't been able to sleep and they're, you know, been sick and stuff because someone else sent you. It's like, you know, you have to use your reason. And, and I remember them defending, I'm like, well, Hitler's soldiers were obedient. And so, you know, we have to know. <laughs> they were obedient to him. We have to kind of realize and reason, yeah. I like we're that. obeying. I like that. Could we be obedient to Satan? Would that obedience be good? So obedience, just for the sake of obedience, isn't necessarily a healthy thing. That we need to recognize what we're obedient, being be obedient to. And when we say obedience is the first law of the gospel, who are we promising to be obedient to? God. To God. And we also have to recognize that laws can transition. Like, I think sometimes, at least I used to think this way, the first law of heaven, right? So there's, it's the first building block, and we build on top of it. And the first building block is, block is obedience. But then I got to thinking, like, sometimes laws transition. So let me give an example. Law of Moses. Are we still held completely under that law? Do we, do we, are we allowed to eat pork? Can we mix our wool with our cotton? So those laws change. This law transitioned into the law of the gospel. How about the law of tithing? God tried to transition this. We weren't quite ready. But, but what do you try? What's that? It's a transitory law. Consecration. Right? Right? So there's a law of consecration. And we couldn't live it, right? So God said, all right, we'll go back to that again. Until we're ready. Until we're ready. Humans are humans, though. Maybe Maybe we'll never be ready in this life. Maybe it was a lesson to us that we're not always ready for higher laws. And so laws change, and so I, I often wonder if the law of obedience, not that, not that we should be disobedient, but that the law of obedience in terms of always looking outside of ourselves for direction and guidance, rather than looking in of our, inside of ourselves, maybe the first law of heaven, being obedience, is meant to be a transitionary law. That rather than just obedience, maybe we get to a place where we do things out of just love rather than to obey. And there's a scripture to support this, and it's one of the coolest scriptures, I think, in the New Testament. Let's turn to John 16, 7. Who has that? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send you. This is this is kind of an odd scripture because Jesus is saying it's expedient. And if you if you read other Bible translations, the other words that it uses, it's to your benefit, it's to your advantage. 
Another one says, for your good. This idea that Jesus has to leave the twelve for their good. Otherwise, the comforter can't come. And if he leaves, then he'll send the comforter. Now, can Jesus and the Holy Ghost be present at the same time? How about his baptism? Right? And so put yourself in the twelve shoes for a moment. Anytime you have a question, the mortal Jesus is in your presence, what are you going to do? Defer to him. Defer to him. You're going to defer to the outside authority, which is Jesus, in the flesh, standing right in your presence. And so you're going to second-guess yourself at every turn because you want to know what the Master has to say. Right? And I truly believe that what Jesus is teaching here is that I have to go so that the outward Jesus leaves and the inward Christ, which is the Holy Ghost within us, comes. If Jesus isn't around, now who do these disciples have to depend on? Themselves, based on what they have heard. Right. And what the Holy Spirit testifies to them. Right? And... And if we recognize the Holy Ghost, Moroni chapter 10, 3 through 5, right? Let's go back, let's just turn there and let's read it. And we all know this one, hopefully. If not, we've... Maybe, maybe, maybe there is an investigator in the room. Who has that one? I have one. Please. Behold, I would exhort you that when ye shall read these things, if it be wisdom in God that ye should read them, that ye would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam, even down until the time that ye shall receive these things and ponder it in your hearts. And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that ye would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true, And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things. Yeah. So Christ will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things. Like, to me... And I'd love to ask, I mean, for you guys, when you have experiences of the Holy Spirit, is that something outside of yourself or something inside of you? Inside. Yeah. It's an inner thing. I think it's an outer thing. Okay, give me an example. Uh, when you have the Holy Ghost, that's something that feeds into you from outside, that you use your, your understanding and your knowledge and your feeling and whatever it is the spirit there to uh, determine whether that's the Holy Ghost or not. Right. And and so it comes from outside. Everything that we receive like that is from outside. It is not from within. Yes, and I agree with you. The Holy Ghost is an extrinsic force or being, correct? But the way you experience that being that member of the Godhead. Is that a interaction from outside or are you filling it within yourself? It's an, in, an action from outside that touches something inside. Yeah. And it's that inside feeling that is the yeah. confirming feeling that something's going on. Does that make sense? And so I'm, I'm, I agree 100%. The whole, I'm not saying the Holy Ghost is, this, is only this authority inside yourself. It is a member of the Godhead. He is outside of you. 
but the way in which you know what is being said or taught or a warning or um, a, a feeling of comfort, all of that is occurring inside of your spirit. Right? So, so is what you're saying that it, it's not influenced by other people, but it's the Holy Ghost directly with you, and that's why it's inside of that warrior? I'm simply saying that there are truth in lots of places. Somebody can say something, and that, that voice and that person and that interaction was outside of you. The Holy Ghost is, is an experience that's inside yourself. You couldn't, you couldn't go to somebody else and go, did you see that? Did you hear that? Did you feel it? That's yours. It's not anything occurring outside of yourself. But you have to have the, have, you have to have the Spirit of the Holy Ghost to receive it. Okay? If you don't have that, it's not going to come to you. All right? So I, you know, I agree with you, but I don't agree with you. I believe that you have to have the, the Spirit with you and earn it so that you can receive it. And, and when you got the gift of the Holy Ghost, mm-hmm. hands were laid on your head, right. and you were told to receive right. the Holy Ghost. In other words, to take that inside of yourself. Right. You have to do that, yes. Right. And there's a don't. There's yeah. people that don't. And, and I agree, there's truth here on both sides. I'm not, I, don't, I don't want anybody to feel like, like I honestly legitimately feel that. Like there's truth here. But he also... Make sure that when you receive that truth, that you are receiving it. In other words, he verifies whatever you hear, or he tells you, no, it's not true. He gives you that that signal or that that warning or that advice or whatever that you need to know that what you're receiving is true or not true. Right. Right. We we learn to we learn to receive messages from the Holy Ghost. It's not a given. We're not born with that intrinsically. We learn to do that, and I kind of think that we um, we condition our mind, we condition our spirit to receive these outside messages that he sends to us, and then we evaluate that based on whatever we have learned, and we and but but he triggers that point that whether it's in the brain or in the cells or wherever it is in the spirit. And he triggers that so that we can identify it as the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's me too. There's, there's a paradox here too in that every one of us feels the Holy Spirit different. Right? And so it would be easy for me just to stand up and speak from my experience and to say this is how the Holy Ghost works. Right? And the reality is we recognize that everyone in this room, that's going to be different. For some people it may be... Uh, uh, goosebumps. For some people, it may be a warm feeling in their in their chest. For some people, it may be uh, uh, just an insight of knowledge to their mind. I mean, there's so many different ways that the Holy Ghost works, and I think we all experience it slightly different. And, and some people experience it in different ways within themselves, yeah. like depending yeah, on the times. situation. Yeah. 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 So why? Well, back to obedience. Why is the Holy Ghost so essential to this topic and this kind of a concept that I'm talking about? Why is the Holy Ghost needed? What does it do for us? What, is it, what does it help us with? Distinguish between what we should obey and what we shouldn't obey. Are there ever exceptions to the rules? Oh, yeah. Sure. We did this before, I think, in this class, but maybe for the four of you who haven't been here before, a couple of you maybe who haven't been in the class before. If I were to ask, Bishop, let me ask you, is lying wrong? Is lying wrong? There's there's some times when and when lying would probably not be wrong. Yeah. 
I love that. I wanted to do a class one time, and I said, okay, actually, it was a word council. I said, is lying wrong? Everybody in the, in the class raised their hand. It was like instantaneous, no time to think about it, it's wrong. I said, great, now let me pull the story. I said, you're living in Germany, right? And you've hidden some Jews up in your attic, and the Nazis come and knock at your door, and you open up, and they say, do you have any Jews hidden here? Right? Now, I'll leave it up to you. You all can make the decision whether you want to be dishonest or not in that situation. I still don't think there's a right or a wrong because I think we all have to go by what we think is the right decision to make. Maybe for us, our honesty trumps the protection of another. Maybe it does. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong. If wrong, wrong comes to your door, you're going to do the right thing. And right. not necessarily what they want to hear. Right. And when I, when I hear uh, a lie, I think that's almost a bad word because there are many things that you could say different ways. Let me bring it closer to home. The church has, they leave a lot of it up to us. A lot of this obedience, you know, what what is keeping the Sabbath day holy is is up to the individual. And so, you know, I think there is, there is. I mean, I think you, you make a good point um, in this regard. Obviously, um, we want to, we want to gain that knowledge for ourselves and feel the spirit and have confirmation from that and, and the Holy Ghost testifies of Christ right it, it confirms of, of his of his reality and and so we, we should always go to go to our Heavenly Father for for guidance right on, on just about any on everything but you know I also think relying on on our leaders to help us in that regard is is an important thing and you brought up the word good it's you have to do what's good what's right you want to be obedient to god's law but you have to also do what's right and what's good for that particular occasion right i saw a hand over here i i've contemplated that question whether you can ever lie and, and it is good. And I've, I thought, like you said, I think you could find another answer. I mean, um, you could say something like, I would never, um, I would never absc- uh, abscond people or hide people to well, the... that's a lie. They're right there in your house. No, I would, <laughs> never, I would never hide people to the detriment of... Uh, well... You could say I mean really I mean can you can you think of a different way to say so that you don't lie? It's just like when your wife is fixing her hair and she says do no, no, I, we're getting on some thin ice. <laughs> do, do, do you like it? And you can say you know No, you know what the answer is <laughs> You can say I really like the way you wore your hair uh, yesterday. yesterday, or I really like <laughs> I the way years ago. you do this or that. You know, you, you don't have to lie. You don't have to say yes or no. Some of, the, some of these situations, though, aren't they going to be so abrupt and so instantaneous that having to make this immediate decision... Um, but let me throw another thought. I think realistically that's yeah. the case. And, and I think... And I think you're right. I think there are instances where we can try our best not to do that, right? 
I think the secret is realizing motives. If one's being dishonest to protect the life of another, does that seem like that would be something God would be angry about? No. If one's going to lie to cover their own rear end, what do we think? Not good. You've you got to do what's right. What's right. Good. Yeah. You know, and, I, I thought about what you said, and I thought, honey, am I gaining weight? I can't see anything. That's a good answer. My my wife and I always we watch conference and stuff like that, and we you know we just watch you know the apostles and you know the prophet and they're they're talking and and you you can see you know they have so much love for us, but we wonder sometimes what are they what do they know that they can't tell us you know and I think that this kind of goes on with this. I think, and it's my personal point of view, that they do know some stuff, but they can't tell us because it would, I guess, interrupt, I guess, what's the, the spirit, you know. Yeah. And it's, I feel almost bad for them that they have to know things that would, you know, it's hard to explain, but I think you know where I'm coming yeah. from. But, you know, that's how we feel sometimes. Let's let's make a let's let's go off in that direction a little bit. So a teenager, right? We recognize that teenagers, as much as they kind of want to be in that over here, they're really living in this, right? Would would we want teenagers to be able to um, know that there are always exceptions to the rules, and, and you can kind of pick and choose when those exceptions? No, right? Why not? Why why shouldn't teenagers be able to make? Uh, Pick exceptions to the rule for them. Teachers, we came from San Diego. And our youngest daughter went to a brand new school. And they taught her in the class: you do what you feel like doing. You don't pay attention to what feels good, and don't pay attention to your parents. What will teenagers do? Yeah. What will teenagers do when they have that freedom? So so to, to live in that sphere, one has to really have some wisdom to say this you know, I really would like to do this, but it still isn't the right thing. And and teenagers we recognize don't have that ability yet. Mm-hmm. Right? This ability to know when an exception to the rule truly is an exception and when to live by the rule. So are these people sources of truth? They can be. Are they generally? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if, if they're the you know if they're the writers that we're reading, hopefully you know we're not reading a right, bunch. Sure, <laughs> and we recognize right. I mean, we could read lots well, the of the spouse piece online is a lot bigger. That that's <laughs> life really big. Okay, that's that's a very valuable source of yeah. truth. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, for me, as long as I know I'm trying to look for positive sources of truth, these tend to be very good sources of truth, and they tend to be right most of the time for me, right? And and the question is. Do we recognize that the Holy Ghost is the source of truth? Right? Like, all of these are our sources, or a source of truth. But that the Holy Ghost is the source of truth. And so I put some quotes together. I'm not trying... Please understand this. I'm not trying to give you, like, oh, the obedient side of the paradigm is wrong, and here's the exception to the rule side of the paradigm. Rather, I'm suggesting that we go through church and we have these you know, gospel essentials class, the gospel doctrine class, and we harp on the obedience part. And I simply want to give you one day where we explore a little bit the, the exception to the rule. And so we recognize that that freedom is there. Before you do that, can I share a real-life experience Please. with this, Please, that'd be awesome. 
this to me when you started talking about this it, it really brought back this idea I had two children that went on their missions to Chile at the same time my son Bowen is a letter of the law obedient guy and so if the mission president says you have 60 minutes for lunch he will not take 61 minutes for lunch he can't do it he feels wicked he has to go do some penance or yeah. something after that I mean it's yeah. a big deal my daughter on the other hand she was pretty funny. She says, well, it's more like guidelines. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, we were down at the beach with some investigators and stuff, and you're like, wait a minute. I think there's a, well, yeah, Perez and I are typed. You know? So it's all, it's all cool. You know, it's a good thing. What was interesting is that I had, I had about six months after my son got home from his mission where we worked together, and we were sitting in a little room about as big as a space for about six months. And that obedience... Um, limited his ability to enjoy his mission and I think to really fulfill his mission in a way that would have been pleasing to God and and he even to, I mean, he had a great mission he was, was a faithful missionary and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but but it was, he was there was a lot of negative energy in his mission trying to do this whole obedience thing where my daughter was just like you know we taught some people and you know we did this thing and I was drinking a coke and you know this guy came by and whatever and she had a great mission, and she touched a lot of people's lives. Where I think my son was so worried about that obedience thing that it kind of impaired his ability to really just flourish as a missionary. And I, I think that maybe some of us have that same thing in our life where we can get hung up too much on all the obedience stuff that we don't really fulfill our purpose here on, in yeah. life, maybe. Yeah. I'm going to take that in a different direction, but it brought something up in my mind, which is these two different types of people... What happens when these two types of people get into a conversation? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, this people and that people. This, this individual and the one on the far right here. When they have a conversation, when this person is confronted with somebody who's saying, yeah, I mean, it's a little more exception to the rule, fly by the seat of your pants. Well, these people are always right. Okay. These people were always right. Okay. After they, as they get older, they learn that these people were right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of them. 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 <laughs> one of the things that this person has learned is to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> what does this person do when he's surrounded by somebody just pushing a bunch of rules and lines in the sand? He blows up. Oh, he no. He, <laughs> he assimilates what is good. And he leaves what is not. That's, that's probably the right. But they have done, I'll just give a little bit of a thought here. He's right. When you explore these stages of development, you go forward. The further to the right you get, the more the person finds this paradigm useful, even though they're not living in it. Like, like as you're saying, there's almost this inner peace with being surrounded by folks who like rules, Right? Even though you realize that you're not going to necessarily live that paradigm every moment of the day, but you're also not going to cause a bunch of drama for these folks, right? Um, but there is a tension there. There is a tension between folks who, you know, so-and-so said so, so-and-so wrote it, so-and-so taught me. And this person saying, yeah, I, I, I follow that 90% of the time, but there's exceptions to this. Um, if I can draw on a personal experience, I was the ward mission leader. Um, after we got back from our mission, my wife and I, I was older, quite a bit older, like 50 years older. Than <laughs> um, the missionaries? Than the missionaries, right. I worked with the missionaries, and I could see 
in them how I used to be right. when I was on my mission. Right. Which was that guy. Yeah, that right that guy right there. But I did never I tried not to impose my view on them. They need this structure. To, they need that structure. Yes. That's where they are. Yes. And I could not agree with them on everything. I didn't agree with them on everything. But I was very careful in what I voiced. Yeah. Because I was more in this area. Yeah. Yeah. We've got five minutes left. I want to read a couple of these quotes, and then you can take them home and do what you want with them. But, again, I'm not trying to squash obedience. I want to tell you that in my life, whether it be church leaders, parents, scholars, you know, my spouse... Um, <laughs> I, I even have a hard time saying you're right like 90% of the time but I would say these, these, these forces are right more often than they're not in my life right the, the question is do we recognize some room even for instance that church leaders have given us to think for ourselves as Bishop was mentioning earlier at the very bottom of the first page of quotes this is just a beautiful one this is by uh, Elder Dilworth Young uh, First Council of Seventy, nineteen forty-five. Somebody want to read that? Where, what does the paragraph start with? Uh, you must work. Yeah. Please. You must work through the Spirit. If that leads you into conflict with the program of the Church, you follow the voice of the Spirit. Ooh. See, I love these, and and often I think we feel like it's an all or nothing, and I don't think it is an all or nothing paradigm. Um. How about the second one on that page? The second little block. Who's got that one? This is this is one of my favorites too. And again, I'm not trying to be antagonistic, but I am trying to open you up that everybody walks out of this room realizing that the Holy Ghost is the source of truth, and everything else is a source of truth. Please. Standard works judge the teachings of all men. It makes no difference what is written or what anyone has said. If what has been said is in conflict with the Lord, which the Lord has revealed. We can set it aside. My words and the teachings of any other member of the church, high or low, if they do not square with the revelations, we need not accept them. Let us have this matter clear. We have accepted the four standard works as the measuring yardsticks or balances by which we measure every man's doctrine. You cannot accept the books written by the authorities of the church as standards in doctrine only insofar as they accord with the revealed word and the standard works. Every man who writes is responsible, not the church, for what he writes. If Joseph Fielding Smith writes something which is out of harmony with the Revelation, then every member of the church is duty-bound to reject it. If he writes what, if he writes that which is in perfect harmony with the revealed word of the Lord, then it should be accepted. Wow. That's a really strong quote, right? You're duty-bound to reject that which does not match with the revealed word of God regardless of where it's taught high and low in the church. That, t- that puts a lot of pressure. And I hope you feel all of a sudden the responsibility is left to these individuals. And where's the responsibility? It's inside, isn't it? It's now inside of you. Now you have to be sure that you are worthy of the Spirit so that you can tell when those few exceptions are to be made. And wh- But you also need to realize you do have room to make those exceptions at times. What I think, uh, what I, I think it's important that... That um, that we go to the spirit for for our guidance is because sometimes our parents may be wrong or someone in our our world can crash. You know, there was a point in my life where my dad didn't 
want me to go to Provo. He didn't want me to marry in the temple. He didn't want me to do things that I felt were right. So if I, you know, if I just go to one of those, I, I would have not been able to have what I have. And what's the rule? What's the rule about parents? We have a commandment. <clears throat> To right, honor by father, right? And sometimes we think that means I just have to do what they say, even if it's wrong, right? Let's finish with um, one more quote. This is this isn't one you guys have, but this is Hubie Brown. He says, "Quote: Preserve then the freedom of your mind in education and in religion, and be unafraid to express your thoughts, and to insist upon your right to examine every proposition." We are not so much, this is leaders of the church speaking, we are not so much concerned with whether your thoughts are orthodox or heterodox. Heterodox is a form of the word heretic. We are not so concerned with whether your thoughts are orthodox or heterodox as we are that you shall have thoughts. Unquote. Right? And so, as we finish here, can I just bear testimony that God has given us the Holy Ghost? that we can look to all of these places as a source of truth, but that at the end of the day, and and trust me, the younger you are, and some of us are just built this way when we're in this state, we need that rigidity. We need it. Okay? But I'm suggesting that we also feel a freedom to expand beyond that as we feel that growth happen inside us. And that God is calling us to get to a place where early on, my teenage son, he needs these authorities to say this is how it's got to be. But I hope someday when my son is 30 or 40 years old, he's moved to a point where he now realizes that the Holy Ghost within him is how he decides ultimately what is right and what is wrong. I bear testimony that the Holy Ghost is the ultimate source of truth. Moroni 10, 3, 5 is true. By the power of the Holy Ghost, we may know the truth of all things. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.